Hello and welcome to episode 356 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you in different locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Let's freaking go! I feel like it's been forever since we've talked. What is the Cliff Averill edition? It is that. Yeah, I mean... The last time that we recorded, the Seahawks had only signed one free agent. So it, it has been an exceedingly long amount of time in NFL free agency terms. For and sure. in every term. I don't know. There's about all sorts term. of updates. And I'm like, that happened an eternity ago. <laughs> Didn't we already pod about this? That really sells people on listening to the podcast when it's like, we're going to have a lot of really old news. No, it's just, the, it's more just so much happened in the last week that. There's a, there's such a breadth of stuff to talk about, is what I'm saying. There there is a breadth of stuff to talk about. Content. Let's get right into it. Uh, I do, I I don't have a beer this week. Uh, what are you drinking? <laughs> Give me the sins. The Budweiser Chilada made made with clamato picante okay. because it is summer in the city of Seattle. Vernal Equinox is here, and you know what that means. It is somehow summertime. It has reached sixty degrees. Let's freaking go. Last Saturday, when it was over 60, literally had to open the window in my house because it got too hot. So there you go. That's how you know summer is here in the Pacific Northwest. We have made it. But it's actually still spring. And you know what's coming (laughs) in spring? The boys of summer are coming, though. (laughs) That's Pilton Gas Live, April 21st. Still sold out. Uh, We have not yet heard from anyone who is trying to come. We're still promoting this. You just want I, to remind everybody out there that it's sold out. <laughs> well, you gave people the the message to contact us if they wanted to come and we're unable and you know to get what? tickets. The message was received. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, one of the things we have to talk about that's happened since we last recorded is that Talking Taco Time has taken over a new media. Hello. We obviously had podcasting. We took over magazines with Seattle Mets feature on the Taco Time divide. And now, television with a feature about Talking Taco Time last week on Evening Magazine. Lou was incredible. Stars of. Not stage. <laughs> Yo, yes, stage. I mean, yes, yeah. Peltcast yeah. Live, because there's news about that also. Stars of stage, screen, page, podcast. That's like a, that's like a podcasting EGOT right there. That is everything you, you could give us an award. Do. To be clear, we've you been in all the things. Awards. No, but we are stars of, been featured in all four different mediums that matter until they make a talking Taco Time movie. Weirdly, not radio. Somehow, we've got <laughs> podcasting, but not radio. We skipped right to television. The news about talking Taco Time that does pertain to. Pelton Cast Live April 21st at Belltown Yacht Club is now confirmed for the first time in history. It's going down. All four co-hosts of Talking Taco Time will be in the same building on the same stage. Thank you, Biden. It's happening. Randy has confirmed he will be there. This is going to be an epic event. 
I'm convinced that us saying that all four talking taco time co-hosts are going to be there guarantees that one of us is going to get sick the week of the show. <laughs> but very exciting we, we news. Should, we should use that to, to launch the second ever edition of our new spinoff pod. Should we? People uh, will be excited about it at at, uh, <laughs> at Pelton Cast Live. People will be excited about it. I would hope so. Uh, one of the things that's happened since we last recorded, the NCAA tournament is, is underway on the men's and women's side. Our, our pools update. Some guy named Tristan is leading the men's bracket and has all the possible points still remaining. There we go. I wrote in shouts to Willis Reed. I came in at halftime. You thought I wasn't part of the group. That's because I didn't know how to put my bracket into the group. It was conf- you were confused about it. Was it was filled out. There was no cheating involved. It was filled out beforehand. And I rode in at halftime. You thought I was injured. Boom, right to the top. Joined it right to the top of the group. You're welcome. Shouts to Willis Reed, the great late, great Willis Reed, who uh, passed away. Uh, on the women's side, Adam Bartz leads. He's 10 points ahead of me. He's the only person in the top eight that does not have South Carolina winning at all. So Did they lose? No. Okay. Of course not. Stanford, two number one seeds did get knocked out. Stanford, which was scheduled to play here. So, so much for that Stanford-Iowa matchup, potentially, in the Seattle Region 3 final, uh, as well as the one of the number one seeds that was headed to South Carolina. Indiana also got upset in the first How round. is my bracket doing in the women's uh, NCAA tournament pool? Unnotable, I would say. I didn't fill it out. That's the joke. Oh, you're right. You're bringing <laughs> I have a down zero. The, you're bringing down the the score of our group dramatically. I need to find a way to kick you out. There's there's a couple That's, of other people. Zach Jabal also joined the group and did not fill didn't out. Didn't fill bracket. it out. I, I think I clicked on the link that you sent, and I I like it took me to the women's NCAA tournament. I thought I was in the men's. That's what I do. I'm all about the high and the low, though, right? I bring up one group <laughs> and I bring down another group. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that makes me even Steven here. I feel like I'm solidly. It's actually like my fantasy football performance. I'm solidly above average in both groups, but probably will not win. So that that does definitely check out. Uh, as a reminder to everyone, Pelton Cast Fantasy Baseball, still plenty of spots still <laughs> available in the league. So uh, again, the link will be on the post note if you want to check out Pelton Cast Fantasy Baseball and be a part of that. And our only real toast this week, it's a big one. H1 Unlimited Hydroplane <laughs> Racing announced that the 113th APBA Gold Cup will be awarded at Seattle Seafair Unlimited Hydroplane Races for the first time since 1985. Since literally the year of your birth. Wow. Uh, the Gold Cup was the reason the Seafair Hydroplane Races originated in Seattle in 1951, back when the Gold Cup was traditionally hosted by the previous winner, in that case, Seattle Stan Sayers, uh, who won with the slow motion four, Heard of them. which won the 1950 Gold Cup in Detroit. All told, the Gold Cup was contested in Seattle 14 times before Detroit was made the permanent host in 1990. With Detroit not currently hosting unlimited races, it's been held in the Tri-Cities. We were there for a Gold Cup. Uh, Madison, Indiana, and most recently, Guntersville, Alabama in recent years. So come up for the Gold Cup to be in Seattle, I would have to say. It really is. Uh, the U9 Strong Racing won last year with Corey Peabody at the wheel. Likely a temporary move, though, with unlimited hydroplane racing scheduled to return to Detroit in wow. 2024. Is hydroplane racing getting more popular? 
I I don't know if I would necessarily go that far. The logistics in Detroit are being worked out better. So are we on Seattle Sports Figure of the Year watch now for this race? <laughs> the, the race itself? No, the winner the, of the this winner race. Of, okay. If you're winning the Gold Cup in Seattle, Washington, I have to say, look, we might nominate the race itself. I don't know. If anything, <laughs> I thought that was going to be a joke about me. Fair game. I'm just saying this is a huge moment. <laughs> you're like, we have another update. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> so we have another toast and it's a big one. Another toast. What is the that's more biggest possible hydroplane news that you could have? Uh, if Chip Hanna were coming back out of repl- okay. retirement. Okay. <laughs> it's been a minute since he's driven. All right. With that, I think it's time to get into our search for Seattle's best of donuts, which... Uh, uh, despite your trip to Austin, we managed to get to a couple of locations this week. Uh, let's start with Good Day Donuts, which is one of my hometown donut loca- locations, not far from me here in White Center, where it opened in 2018 by local chef Eric Jackson and wife Allison Adowski, with Jackson trading in his cooking at a variety of Seattle restaurants, uh, including all, rising all the way to executive chef to teach himself how to make donuts. Their weekly specials include flavored fritters on Friday, which is a tongue twister of a sentence and crawlers on Saturday as well as, and I just learned this going to their website. Somehow I was unaware of this cereal milk donuts on Wednesday. Ooh. So I don't know if those are cake donuts or, or raised, but I'm, I'm curious to check those out. So like I've been to good day a handful of times over the years, but I went twice as part of this search. One time uh, was just after I was getting lunch at low Woody's stopped in and that was a Friday. So they had a curry apple fritter which okay. is unorthodox sounding but was quite delicious giant fritter uh and then this last time uh got us got us both sprinkle ring donuts raised donuts and then we also got old fashions that were glazed that uh, we had one of each on sunday what, what were your takeaways well i i'm looking at their website so it says vegan donuts wednesday to sunday which is also all the days they're open it's a little confusing yes so does that mean that all of not all the donuts are vegan? Not, I think they have specific vegan donuts. I, I can't just, say I noticed it when I was ordering in there. Okay, so I'm just curious if this was on like the Dojoy Corner, where so it's like there are options for vegan donuts, but Correct. it's not permanently. Okay, got That's it. My understanding. Uh, honestly, I was pretty surprised by these donuts. I really went in with no expectation for them. I had it kind of really, casually. Like Good day was kind of kind of trendy. Has been kind of trendy for a minute here, especially like when they started hosting pop ups. Because I, I think Cookies Country Chicken, was the runner up in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken, originated as a pop up at Good Day Donuts. We never had it there, but I think that's where they started. The old fashioned that I had from there, I do have to say. It was it was not the most well crafted old fashioned. There was like little hints of of the frosting on top or whatever, which I, I it, it, it definitely did not photograph well. Yeah, visually didn't look great. But the other the raised ring donut that you had, I thought that one honestly like as far as the 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 crunch of it, right? The the like slightly cooked outside, the soft inside. It was pretty high up there. I I feel like this is one that. For me, I want to be able to go there, go myself. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if this one made the bracket. We'll see. It's tough, tough times in the bracket. I mean, I, so many donuts still left to eat. 
I really would like to get back to the location again and have it see the whole thing, do it myself, have it right there. The fritter that you talked about, I'm pretty excited about also because I feel like it sounds to me like that fritter is their most competitive item. Quite possibly so. I think that's, I mean, again, it's one of their specialties, days of the week. And we went on Sunday, so the crawlers weren't there uh, either. I still have not had their crawlers, although I can't say that I'm a, a huge crawler fan. Um, yeah, I mean, I think these are kind of a little old school for a a donut you know, shop that opened so recently. That's uh, uh, The location was previously served donuts before they bought it. So it's even though the recipes are not the same, there is like a continuation of the old school. But you had a curry there. apple fritter, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, no, it, I mean the the execution is a little old school but there is certainly that degree of creativity to go with it so which is not a bad marriage at all i would say i i don't know again i i want to explore more i want to go back i might even go back on my own recreationally recreationally without judging it because i want to see again i need to be there honestly breakfast sandwiches I'm excited about that. The whole experience. I need to look at it. I need to feel it. I have to understand what this donut place is about, aside from just getting it in the bag. Yeah. And and I think that's something that, for me, will decide whether it's in the bracket or out, because I do think it's pretty freaking close. We were both able to experience Chuck's Donut Shop in Renton earlier this morning. Uh, I did not realize that Chuck's Donut Shop has been open in Renton since the 1970s. It is Chuck's Donut Shop is an institution. In it's the city a fixture. It is Chuck's Donut Shop, the Seattle Seahawks, and Doofers. Like, <laughs> these are Renton institutions that exist. Chuck's Donut Shop is, like, when you say donuts in the city of Renton, people think of Chuck's immediately. I was shocked that you hadn't been there. I was also nope. shocked that Jan hadn't been there. Because I swear I'd been there with both of you at various different times. Because this was me, not that far from a house you lived in back in the day. It's in the Renton Highlands, right? Right next to, or close to Hazen High School, where they are the Highlanders, right? Yep. And again, for me, have I've had these donuts so many times that I'm shocked that you hadn't had it. They have all sorts of different types of donuts, but the specialty, the thing you go there for is the maple bar. That's the number one item on the menu. Yeah, so you had to make sure they were out of maple bars uh, in the display case that we got in assorted dozens that we could make sure, and they had two of them in there, so we were each each able to have one. And what stands out, you know, like it's possible that you brought Chucks to your old house at some point, and I just don't remember it, but I'm pretty sure I would remember the frosting here because it it is really a frosting rather than an icing on the the bars. It's it's distinct and quite delicious. Honestly, it's a near perfect donut. Like I really can't. I just ten out of ten, no notes. Right? Do like, you think it, this is a better maple bar than the top pot? I would like to eat the maple bar to maple bar. Okay, they're different. How about that? They're definitely but, very different. I agree with that. I think the craftsmanship on the Chuck's donut is a higher quality than on a top pot donut. How about that? Like you don't you don't have a Chuck's maple bar where you're like that was a fine one you know what I mean like honestly like the top pot maple bars are so large that I think they can sometimes be a little bit hit or miss again the execution of them the baseline is still very high but for Chuck's I think they're all kind of the same and make no mistake we did not get there late right we got there at like ten thirty a.m. earlier even I think even. 
Yeah, we got there pretty early. They said we got that there they, like ten a.m. Like a large order that they did not call ahead for, which is bad donut form. Bad etiquette. Bad donut etiquette. But like they are moving hundreds of maple bars per day at Chuck's Donuts. There are many times where I go there where they're supposed to be open and they're closed. It's like not a location you go to. This is a morning donut shop. This is a breakfast donut, as you say that donuts are breakfast food. Good day. Because... Same situation. They're only open through 2 p.m. And, you know, definitely like when I went after my lunch at Little Woody's, the the options were limited at that point. They They run out of donuts fairly quickly. And again, I mean, she said that they make hundreds of maple bars per day and we're out by 10 a.m. I, I kind of just, I don't know. These are not like Gen 2 donuts or anything, but it is Chuck's has been doing their thing consistently for 50 years. Maybe I have a hometown bias here, but I kind of think the donuts are pretty perfect in, in the way that I think some people ride for King Donuts. I think these are better donuts than King Donuts. I, I think that definitely they're they're in the same uh tier. They're they're uh similar style and history. Uh so it is still named for the original owner, Chuck O'Neill, who stipulated when he sold the business that his recipes remain in use. And so why would you change his recipes? Apparently still are several several ownership groups later. Really? Uh, yeah. Cause the most recent owner purchased in I believe nineteen ninety eight. Okay. So I mean that's still they're going on oh, yeah, that's still years. a tremendous legacy. Yeah, it wasn't sure. like it was like 2019 or something. But like he sold it in the 80s, I think originally. The thing to me about it, and I and I think the location that you have to compare it to is King Donuts. Agreed. And because the, they're kind of the this type of donut that I think is competing to be in the bracket. Who was it who said the oh, this was Kirk Snyder, right? The <laughs> the only thing that Chuck's Donuts doesn't have. Is exposure, which they uh, do in the city of Renton. I love how much you love this quote. Number one, number two, the last time you referenced it, I could not find it anywhere on the internet. I may need. I'm pretty sure this was from a Jonathan Gavoni article. I may need to text him now that he's my coworker and see if he can pull up that quote. Single handedly keeping the Kirk Snyder exposure quote alive. <laughs> Maybe single handedly keeping Kirk, awareness of Kirk Snyder alive. Period. Uh, although, look, he uh, took down Stanford in Seattle, Washington. We are good at him. Forever. Sure did. I was I was there in the building to see. He, it. No, he didn't actually. No, he. You know what? It was even he better wasn't. for you. What? Do you know who he took down? Gonzaga. He took down Gonzaga, I'm pretty sure. I believe it was Alabama that beat Stanford that day. Oh, where there were okay. two top seeds. The, the, Gonzaga was, I think, like a three seed that year. But there were two high seeds that both got upset in Kirita on the same day. And I was there with, with Jan. <laughs> Quite a time. Uh, but like, the thing is, Chuck's has that exposure in the city of Renton. It's one of those things, though, that it's like, this is an old school Renton institution. Yeah, no, right. Hundred percent. And I so, think when I when I view them, I, the one point, I, the frosting is different. Obviously, very different at Chuck's. And for me, I don't like frosting. You know what I mean? Like that is not the type of donut that I want. They somehow have figured it out. It's not like overwhelmingly frosty. It's just frosty need, and it's not frosty either. Uh, but it's the right balance. Like where you're, it's 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 thicker than the icing that you're used to on a maple bar, but it doesn't, the ratio to the actual donut is not bad. There's no like crunch on top, right? Cause it's soft. And, and again, 
I this is the only donut of this kind that I would say that I'm like a fan of. I think because they just figured Chuck, Chuck, props to Chuck, whatever, fifty years ago for figuring this shit out because he really did. He just figured it out. And to me, the King Donuts they're a little bit, a little bit too, too greasy and a little too soft. And that is not something that you would say about the Chuck's Donuts. We also have this review from Mrs. Fantasy Genius who weighed in in our chat to say that the Chuck's Bear Claw was kind of life-changing. She was born and raised in Renton, too, so. <laughs> That's true. She definitely, if you, you may have some bias, she definitely has the bias. Yeah, she has real bias. So. We should have the famous cousin Katie to come on and talk about Chuck's. Because I think Katie would say that Chuck's is her number one donut. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, should I hit her up right now and see if she's around? <laughs> I may as well. We can continue the podcast if Katie jumps on later. Well, we will jump ahead to uh, more general food updates. And we start this week with a question from Fifth Talk and Taco Time co-host Alicia Vermillion of Seattle Met Magazine, the author of the story about the Taco Time Divide, who came to us with a question about T-Mobile food and specific T-Mobile park food and specifically uh, learning that you're able to bring in single size servings of outside food to the stadium was curious what are the best local spots to bring in and particularly whether people have a favorite hot dog vendor outside the stadium we don't really bring food into t-mobile park so this was not a question we're qualified to answer i feel like i i usually eat in the stadium when i have gone in the past I've also yeah. eaten at my boss's Diamond Club tickets, okay. and I love the idea that yeah, that you break that we, like we we've given this answer. Like she's like, "What's your favorite food to have in the stadium?" I'm like, "Well, there's a really nice carving station actually. Um, <laughs> the penne pasta is pretty good. Uh, when you sit down, they just bring uh, hot dogs and burgers and mini corn dogs to your seat. Actually, it's quite nice. I was uh, out this, eating in the pen. Okay, I I did I did did enjoy the this Sunday one time. in a helmet. You have to assemble that yourself. It's a little complicated. Uh, there's a bratwurst that I think is quite good. So I I like to imagine <laughs> sort of like that. I've been to like four baseball games in the last like five years. You know what I mean? And that's more than I've been to. But, but I know that I, I've been to four Mariners baseball games. I know that there are people out there who have you went hacks. to the UW baseball game. I've been so. to one UW baseball game. It was great. <laughs> Bro, I'll be out there. Is Chief, my boys, Chief Keefe, on their on the rundown yet? I looked them up and did not put them on the rundown. It was a they lost with Kiefer Lord starting on Friday night. He allowed five runs in five innings to visit no. Rhode Island, but took two out of three in the series. So they were playing that because Pac-12 baseball also somehow has an odd number of teams, just like Pac-12 softball. So this was their off week in league play. They'll be back to it this weekend against UCLA. Uh, after taking two out of three against Rhode Island, would you care to guess which is the one Pac-12 team that does not sponsor baseball? The one Pac-12 is it Utah? It's close, but it is Colorado. not Utah. Colorado. It's the other Mountain School. It's the alone Pac-12 non-baseball playing one. Uh, UCLA currently leading the Pac-12 at 5-1, and one, so this will be a bit of a test for UW this weekend, traveling to Pasadena for that one. Uh, we also this week have 
Austin food update since you were down there for South by Southwest last weekend. And you previewed, obviously, your brisket eating. So I had Franklin barbecue for the first time in my entire life. And I, I do think, so you have to order a pound of meat, or four pounds of meat, sorry, to do pickup. Somebody asked in the chat, I think that was Nate, asked how long we had to wait. And it's, I was lucky enough to literally wake up and have barbecue be there waiting for me. So it was a pretty amazing experience. So we did a pound of brisket, pound of smoked turkey, pound of pulled pork, pound of sausage. And I, I don't eat sausage, but of the other three meats, pulled pork. I actually had some pulled pork fresh. I believe, wait, what is Franklin's first name? Why can't I think of this? I don't know off the top of my head. Former Mariners shortstop prospect, Nick Franklin. <laughs> uh, Aaron Franklin. Aaron Franklin. Yes, that's right. So I believe Aaron Franklin is opening up a new restaurant, and I had fresh pulled pork from there as well, which is quite phenomenal. I think that's the pulled pork was You definitely amazing. do not think pulled pork when you think Austin barbecue. But the thing is, like, he could do anything excellent. Right. The pulled pork was really juicy and amazing. The the smoked turkey actually had kind of dried out a little bit by the time we got it. The barbecue sauces, there's a vinegar flavor to them. You know I fuck with vinegar so hard. There was an espresso barbecue sauce, an original. That's why, that's why you're going to love it when you get to Charleston. Because they're a big vinegar town? Yeah, the Carolina barbecue sauce is made with vinegar. You don't know that? I'm sure we've talked about it in the podcast. That sounds great. I love vinegar probably number one over any flavor. But as we've learned on this podcast, vinegar is not my number one. The brisket was unlike any brisket I've ever had in my entire life. It's interesting how the outside of the brisket gets almost like kind of like a pink hue to it. Eating it when it was semi-fresh, it's like dripping, right? The packages of it, they're dripping. And you bite into it and it's like, this is the perfect food completely on its own. That's like what the best brisket is, is you slice into it and you just have a bite and you're like, this meat needs nothing else. I could put other things on it if I absolutely need to, but it is tender and it is juicy. I get my favorite parts are the parts right near the fatty part, right? The darkest meat. It's amazing. I'll eat all the fat. I don't give a shit, right? I love every single aspect of it. And it, it was it was a perfect experience eating I mean, the Franklin barbecue. It sounds similar to, so John Lewis previously worked at Franklin Barbecue before going to start Lewis Barbecue, which I had in Charl the aforementioned Charleston. And it definitely was like, it made me rethink what was possible with brisket, eating that brisket. And I, I, I think that probably is very similar with Franklin. It was, it was incredible. The other thing, thought that I had about Texas food, Austin, Texas food. Uh, this is, this is not state. a thought about El Paso. Um, was I casually wait, had... wait, Northwest Texas? <laughs> was that our fight about that? <laughs> I don't know that there was a fight. That was just you were wrong. <laughs> it is. Well, you're saying it's not Northwest Texas? Man, we don't need to rehash it. Okay, whatever. I casually had just like some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life. Like, the restaurant, I haven't, like, looked this shit up on Yelp or anything, but the restaurant that was by the Airbnb, it's, like, stop in there with Enum Claw for dinner. And I had a prime rib dip sandwich. And it was just kind of the best prime rib dip sandwich I've ever had. Huh? 
And then at like one of the venues that the band is playing at, there's like a Mexican food setup, right? Where they're like freshly grilling tortillas. And I got a case, a cheese quesadilla. Incredible. That grease that you get on the outside of like a freshly, freshly handmade grilled tortilla right there. It was just like, well, this is the best quesadilla I've ever had in my entire life. And I do think that the quality of food in Austin, like the baseline quality of food, has to be up there with some of the best in the entire United States. Of just like, you just get a random thing and you're like, this, you have to come real there, right? You have to have very, very good food with what you're doing to survive in almost anything that you're doing. There are a couple other meals that I had were just fine, but like, those three stood out to me as. I'm not, like, seeking – I didn't look up places to eat anywhere ever. I'm just, like, going wherever. And casually we'll just be like, wow, that was one of the best meals I've ever had. Sounds nice. Also, it was probably – I guess the weather wasn't that great, but it was probably – well, we had good weather last weekend, so you did miss out on that. I would actually say weather-wise, my review of Austin was bad. Wow. Uh, I mean, got into town, so I was there for four total days. The first day it was fine. The second day, it was my least favorite weather is humid. Uh, and so a cloudy and hot is my least favorite weather. I, I can confirm. It was like 80 degrees, but also cloudy all day. And I'm wearing a jean jacket because I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm going to be out all night. I'm not going to do the 30-minute walk back to the Airbnb or whatever. So I'm pouring sweat by the time I got, I got to the downtown thing that I was going to. Uh, and which was not comfortable or whatever. And then like going around carrying a jacket all night later in the night, there's thunder. I don't know if people saw this or if you saw, do you see this? That there's no. like, there was like constant thunder. It's unlike anything we've ever had in Seattle. It's like flick, 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 thunder. And then it rains one drop and then it rains all of the drops. <laughs> it was like it rained one drop I mean, and everybody ran inside. And I was like, this is a little fucking rain. What are we scared of here? And then it rained like, Literally, they told people at a different venue to shelter in place. They canceled things. They ended things. People were coming in from the outside, wetter than I've ever seen a human being before. It was like Noah's fucking ark for 20 minutes. I have experienced that in New Orleans and San Antonio. I, it yeah. is unlike any sort of weather that we have. Wait, you understand somebody why people was like, need umbrellas? He was like, here it comes. And I'm like, rain. I'm from Seattle. Ah! <laughs> yeah, no, that's not our kind of rain. <laughs> It's not our rig. Yeah. Me and Edom Claw were like, we got to get inside. <laughs> this is scary. Uh, but then it was it was straight up Seattle weather for two days. It was huh. like 60 degrees and cloudy. I mean, that's not, it was hotter than Seattle weather, but like it was genuinely like a, Saturday woke up and I was like, I'm actually cold being outside. So meanwhile, everybody in Seattle was talking about summer had hit. It is true. Uh, moving on to sports, we probably need to talk about the new second Blazers mascot, Douglas Fur, a hipster Bigfoot attired in red and black flannel and a beanie. The Blazers are calling it a relative of the short-lived 1980s Bigfoot mascot they had, which had been retired by the time Squatch debuted as the Sonics mascot after that in 1993. I'm guessing you have some thoughts here. I guess they might be complex thoughts because you do hate Squatch. <laughs> no. As Fabulous Pelton quote said, <laughs> Squatch, only the Sonic's mascot should be bullied. Squatch is a loving tormentor. 
Okay. You know what I mean? A nemesis? Me and Squatch are good. Oh, right? Good. I'm glad. Squatch had nothing but respect when I when I did the halftime uh like guessing things from the eighties. Squatch had he respected how good the I did. Eighties trivia, yeah. Yes. Uh Squatch did not respect my half court shot. Did not. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. It's better than a lot I've seen. I have seen worse. Uh a couple of people made them last night in different games I was watching. Last night too? Yeah. Somebody made it in Philly and then I think someone made it in Houston later. So there was a Portland Sasquatch before Squatch? There was, yes. They've they've unearthed some photos of this from the nineteen eighties. I I just why do they I mean their initial mascot's pretty bad. I don't even really know what it is. Blaze the trail cat. It's not great, I'll be honest. And I think that's why I'm not actually upset about this, but I do ask the question. The great Sasquatch, the photo that is that is taken of Sasquatch, right? The iconic photo. Do yeah. you know where that was taken? In Washington? I No, I honestly Are don't you're know. you asking this question? You, this was not a rhetorical question. I just, there are woods in Portland and in Oregon, but it's a little different. If I'm being honest, this is like the Palo Banquero being like, I'd love to go hiking in Portland. It's like, but you don't, no, right? No, that was Matisse Thibel, not Or not sorry, Palo. Matisse Thibel, sorry. Uh, Matisse Thibel being like, I'd love to go hiking in Portland. It's like, you live in the place with the best hiking in maybe the entire world? Well, in well bad news for both of us. What's that? It was shot in Northern California. Wow. So Sasquatch likes warmer weather. There, there are more trees in Northern California than there are in the Portland area. It is near the uh, Oregon border. Uh, I mean, I think we're probably, you know, uh, biased by the Harry and the Hendersons being set Which in took, Seattle. took place in North Bend, I believe. Is uh, that where they found him? So, if just if I'm being honest, me and Mrs. Fantasy Genius, we fight a lot about this, about whether Sasquatch is real. Not Sasquatch like the Sonic's mascot, the actual Sasquatch. Uh, she's pretty confident that uh, this is a real creature that is living in the woods. To her, there's the there's the um, Sasquatch caves that are near Mount St. Helens, notably in Washington State. Sasquatch is a Washington State cryptozoological creature, or real creature, depending on who you ask. We kind of own this. They can have the lumberjack thing. That's fine. I'm okay with it. But Sasquatch is a little bit ours. And I ask, why do you need two mascots to go 37 and 45 every oh, single no. year? You know what I mean? They're, like They're not going to get to 37 this year. It's just you, you don't need that. You don't have to take from us Brandon Roy, Nate McMillan, Matisse Thibel, and Sasquatch. I get it. You're a second city to Seattle, Washington, right? Like, Seattle, Washington is the city, and then Portland is like, you know, it's like, a, it's a B, right? If Seattle's an A, Portland's a B. I get it. I get that they want to be us in every single way. I do think this is one, especially with, not official reports, but the Sonics seeming likely to come back within a couple of years. Right. And who it's else been, is coming back it's with the Sonics? It's been years. Like, you had a long time to do this. You know who's coming back with the Sonics? Squatch. Motherfucking Squatch, right? It's like, I, I, I just, I don't think I get it as a why right, right. now so right. I, again 
it's fine. We can have competing squatches when the Sonics come back, I suppose, if that's a thing that you want. But, like, we'll know deep down that ours is the real one. There's always pretty, like, a bunk-ass Sasquatch. Like, if you're going to do it, do it right, just like Squatch did it. If I would have seen that Sasquatch giving me shit or whatever, we're throwing hands for sure. <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't feel like that Squatch is a real fighter. The the caricature that they came up with is just as twee as possibly. Could That's be. also some the fucking o- bullshit. <laughs> the, o- the only thing they didn't do in terms of the Portland hipster stereotype is to somehow give Douglas fur a beard, which would be difficult to do, granted, with a Sasquatch. A beard and an IPA? No, the IPA is part of the the part of the origin story. Is it really? Lover of Portland beer. It actually says that? Yeah. <laughs> I can pull up the website I again. I might hate Portland, actually. I'm rethinking <laughs> this. It's just like one of those situations when, you know, like, Seattle is not a tough town. But, like, when Seattle looks cool compared to Portland... You have to include the fucking Portland beer in the story. It's just a. That's it. I'm not going back to Portland again. Wow. No more Blazers games. That's for the rest of the year. <laughs> Douglas, too shy to ever make himself known, decided to fill his days by playing solitaire, eating his favorite vegan dishes, and drinking cold brew. Oh my While God. Well, distracted gathering sap for his latest craft to, brew to creation. Ape, I think they're called the Ape Caves. If you've been to the ape caves, you know those motherfuckers are not vegan. They've eaten humans. Like, <laughs> Sasquatches ate. I'm sorry. I am sorry. They made this Sasquatch vegan. They did. Sasquatch, whether he exists or doesn't exist, they? Definitely that. We don't need to gender Sasquatch. Well, I'm Douglas just saying is, it's Douglas an entire, is gendered here. It's an entire society of Sasquatches. Yes. Sasquatch is a human killing threatening machine, right? I like I don't know Sasquatch if I is not that. friend to humans. The Sasquatches don't show themselves because they are too violent to show themselves. It's not like Sasquatch Harry wasn't is... violent towards humans. I, I I disagree with this particular take. I think Harry was a little rough around the edges. Look, yeah, clearly Harry was rough around the edges, but he he meant no harm. I'm sorry, but like you made them the most like twee was the perfect word. Of for this. course, it was the most twee ass Portland person. You're just like, oh, I don't, I really like that there aren't strip clubs anymore in Portland. I didn't really like that part of the culture. I'm just like, dog. How is everybody? Portland's been ruined. <laughs> Seattle's okay. Portland's ruined. <laughs> Well, wow. What else did they say about that fucking Sasquatch? I think that was pretty much the, the main character beats. They turned Sasquatch. Oh, hiking is in there as well. Of course. They turned Sasquatch kind of into a punk. Not going not gonna to lie. Like, I don't... Squatch... I mean, if, if, if Squatch were a punk, that would actually be a, a much not cooler a punk move. In, not a punk in that I way. I know. I know. I'm, I'm using instead of another word right now. Uh, but... I just I I feel like they're not respecting Sasquatch with the, the actual Sasquatch, not the Sonics one. The actual Sasquatch. I feel like they're not respecting Sasquatch and how like Sasquatch has an edge to them, right? Yes. We could agree on that. Yeah. You wouldn't be like Sasquatch is a, out there. A wild like, side to quote the Jack's Link commercials. Yeah, those Sasquatches are not they they're not vegan. 
B, <laughs> they're kind of aggressive. That's what the Sasquatch is. It's kind of part of the whole thing, right? I'm kind of pissed about this. Wow. I wasn't mad until I heard the part about the just how like pathetic they made this Squatch. Bad state. Well, Seattle was briefly not okay. Certainly you were not on Sunday afternoon during what you dubbed Kelnick Gate. Did other people refer to it as such? This was Monday. Okay. Yeah, it was scary. When he left the game due to without an explanation uh, during Monday's spring training game, we later learned afterwards that uh, it was due to quad tightness after getting treatment in game in, during the game. And manager Scott Service said it was not a lingering issue and, quote, Jared will be fine. <laughs> He's been more than fine in spring training thus far, slashing 410 batting average, 439 on base percentage, 872. Slugging percentage. What is his OPS? Well, that's going to require some uh, some adding here, but uh, at the risk of Pelton Gas math, I believe that's a thirteen eleven OPS. Oh my god! Wow, that probably would have led the AL last year, right? I'm I'm confident it would have. Yes. I don't know where Aaron Judge finished up at. I'm looking it up right now. Oh, we've got, not even got close. Him. Yeah, eleven eleven. So well, that's, solid... his, that's his career OPS. Or no, that's his 2020 team. Yeah. Yeah. It's only 200 P- points better. A pathetic 11-11 OPS <laughs> compared to Jared Kellenic. <laughs> so. Uh, I'm just going to be straight up. I literally care so much about Jared Kellenic. You know how little I like talking to other people, right? And to random people. I, I have a neighbor who we kind of like awkwardly say hi walking to our children to school every day. I've never really talked to each other. I care so much about Jared Kellenic. That I was I was feeling uh, 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 social this morning, right? Also, it might have been like I knew sunshine was coming, and I I walked up to him. Literally, the first time I've ever initiated a conversation with this person, I was like, "Do you follow baseball?" And I was like, "I need to talk to somebody about Jared Kellenic right now," <laughs> because I was I was t- I was also testing to see uh, if this particular person paid attention to like how in they were. If I could talk about Kellenic Gate. For those like 20 minutes when me and everybody else on Twitter were dying for a second, where I was like, Julio is untouchable. Right? I yep. think that Jared Kelnick would be the second player on the entire Seattle Mariners roster that I would be most concerned. Well, I'm going to say hitter. The second hitter on the Mariners roster that I would be most concerned about if they got pulled from a game. Because I'm straight up like, Aaron Judge better watch himself. With this AL home run record, because Jared Kellenick is coming this year, that Kellenick is about to put together, like I, I just okay. T- tell us statistically. Save it, what, save it. No, I was gonna say save it for M's hot takes next week. It's, it's coming. Season, they're not even. They're not even Mariners hot takes. They're just Jared Kellenick hot takes. There's not even a team anymore, right? We've just been. We've been with this dude for so long, right? We've seen the not actually that long. All things considered, it feels I've like a been, very long. If you've time. only been a baseball fan for like three years, you've been with Jared Kellenick your entire life. Uh, we were baseball fans prior to the current run. If you've only been a baseball pan- fan for three years since 1999, <laughs> then that's a lot of your baseball life. But tell us the answer to this question, statistically speaking. Yeah, what is the meaning of spring training? Uh, Neil Payne of 538 studied this issue in 2014 and found that, quote, 
While significant, the effect of spring training performance is extremely small. To raise his expected regular season weighted on base average by, no, is that what OBA, WOBA stands for? Something like that. By just a single point, a typical player would need to hit for a WOBA roughly 17 points higher than expected during the spring. Fangraphs projected Kelnick for a 301 WOBA this year. Can't find that specific strat for spring training, but would guess it's in the neighborhood of 450, which would add about eight points to its projection. We'd take it from like 301 to 309. So that's kind of the takeaway that it means something, but not that much. I I do think there is a there's a merit to we went into last year also expecting Kellenic to be, you know, we were most excited about Julio, but we were also expecting Kellenic to kind of have his breakout year last year, and he didn't. He was sent down for a period of time. And he had a bad spring in 2022. So I think that's if you're latching on to anything, not on the larger statistical things that matter scale, but on the individual personal to Jared Kellenic scale. Having a bad spring last year translating to a rough start to the season for Kellenic. I, I think the difference matters a little bit. Now, he also was very good in spring training in 2021 when they did not keep him on the roster, which at the time we thought was service time manipulation. In hindsight, looks to have been prescient on their part that he wasn't quite ready. It uh, might have also been service time manipulation, though. It might have also been, but I think their their argument that he wasn't ready turned out to have much more legitimacy than don't, we thought at the time. Don't give... I, I think both cre- things credit can be true. to competence. What could be credited to service time manipulation? How's that saying go? <laughs> it definitely doesn't go like that. <laughs> I believe it's actually the opposite, which is uh, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by incompetence. So, uh, but for the Mariners, nah. So Kelnick hit three hundred. On uh, batting average, 440 on base percentage, 700 slugging in 2021 spring training. But baseball reference, one of the thing, cool things they do, and I, I just learned this today, is that they have kind of an average opponent experience level. And back then, the average opponent that he was playing was somebody who had been in double A or lower in that spring training because he wasn't a starter at that point. He was still splitting time. He was playing probably a lot of late innings. I see. Uh, this year, the average opponent quality is someone who played at AAA level, which is basically what you're going to get as a, a starting player in spring training. Uh, now the, the downside is if you look at the small sample size, the, you know, the factor of why players perform, you know, differently in spring training or why it doesn't necessarily mean that much about regular season it's not just who you're playing against. It's also just pure small sample size in, you know, I think he's had like 60 plate up 61 plate appearances or something. And he has a 462 batting average on balls in play thus far compared to 167 last year in 216 in 2021. I'm not sure what the all-time leader is in but Betty average in balls in play, but uh, I guarantee you <laughs> it's, it's a lot less than that. Or no, just like a full season, season for yeah. context. I feel like, like 467 feels about about right for Kellenic for the regular season. <laughs> You're getting on that continuing. He's definitely hitting the ball hard. I, I think if you were to look at the, if they have the more like advanced metric, you know, the, yeah, like I, mean, hard I think the isolating and slugging like, and that sort of thing. Yeah. is more positive. This is not, he's not hitting bloop singles and shit like that. Like he's hitting for power and yes. he's getting extra bases. Like 
I don't think that people are unfounded by thinking that Kalanick is going to have a good season. I, I, I think there's reason for cautious optimism. That's that's where I'm at. <laughs> I mean, the problem with baseball is that he could end up having like, uh, there he could have three seasons within the season, right? Just because how long the regular season is. Yeah, and and how how long it's until you get to the one number that it equates to a full season. He could start out hot. He could go into a long slump. He could settle into a number. It's one of those things where baseball just you go through a long trends right jb crawford was a i think a pretty good hitter at the beginning of last season and then he wasn't julio rodriguez started out badly at the beginning of last season and then he was good there it is a very long season april is quite different than july and july is quite different than september and october in the last decade there has been one player outside of the 2020 season since that was shortened who qualified for the batting title who has had a batting average of balls in play of over 400 who is that uh, Yuan Moncada. Oh, Yuan Moncada. So, I feel like that's fair. Yeah. Fair to expect from Jared Kelnick. <laughs> I can't freaking wait. O- honestly, like, I'm excited to watch Julio again play actual baseball games. But, and I'm excited to see the young pitching staff grow. So Logan Gilbert looks awesome also. I am most excited to watch Jared Kelnick play real games, though. That is it. I mean, it definitely is exciting in terms of, like, can he keep keep this up? If he puts it together, if Jared Kalanick turns into an above-average starting baseball player, with still he's still young, with the chance to be a star, like, everything, the entire Mariners offseason will have looked right. Brian Reynolds kind still of, hasn't gotten traded, by the way, has he? It's not him on that list. Who? Brian Reynolds? Brian Reynolds? No, I mean, there was, obviously, that's when he got pulled. The... There was both a little bit of terror that I, I didn't think Kalanick was hurt, but that his value has obviously gone up during the spring training and that the Mariners had traded him. Uh, and it was one of those things where I thought we were getting Jose Cruz Jr. again. <laughs> and I don't know if I can handle that in my uh, three years as a baseball fan. Kalanick is 23, will turn 24. So five. young. He is so young. Also, perhaps part of the reason they wanted to leave him in the minors. In no, to the service time manipulation. Definitely not. All right, let's talk. I, I think the service time manipulation matters less now, for what it's it worth. Matters a lot less now. That's why so many players played the rookies played the entire season with their teams last year, including Julio Rodriguez. All right, let's talk about the Kraken. Uh, Vince Dunn had the winner in overtime last Thursday in San Jose as they snapped a three-game winless streak by beating the Sharks 2-1, having given up the game's first goal on a penalty but equalized through Oliver Bjorkstrand, who also assisted in overtime. Uh, Their home losing streak, however, extended to four Saturday against Edmonton in a 6-4 loss with Evander Kane's hat trick powering the Oilers. On Tuesday in Dallas, with Joey Decord and net due to Philip Grubauer's illness, the Kraken held a 4-2 lead in the third period before surrendering to the tying goal inside the final second of regulation. Uh, almost a, a March Madness-style buzzer beater for the Stars there, but they could not carry out over that momentum into overtime where Adam Larson netted the winner nearly two minutes in, getting the Kraken a vital two points. They're still within striking distance of Edmonton, three points back with one game in hand for the third guaranteed playoff spot from the Pacific Division. They are safely in the playoffs. They're up seven points right now on the ninth place Predators, who have played one fewer game. 
But that could change as the teams meet twice in Nashville on Thursday and Saturday before the Kraken wrap up this road trip Monday in Minnesota. Of course, the good news, the Kraken can't win at home lately, but have been dominant on the road. Uh, Seattle Sounders had a scoreless draw Saturday against LAFC in their showdown against the reigning MLS Cup holders. Sounders had the better of opportunities, according to Soccer Power Index, with 1.8 expected goals based on their shots to 1.2 for LAFC. A little bit disappointing not to take full points from LAFC at home after they had played Wednesday in the CONCACAF Champions League, which limited Carlos Vela's playing time. He started but uh, was subbed out in the second half of this one. But can take a positive from grindy out of point while scoreless, something the Sounders did not do one time last season. Wow. They were 0-9-0 in their nine scoreless matches. And the best news long-term here was that uh, Obed Vargas' uh, his first game action since last June, which also came in a home draw against LAFC, he then was sidelined by a stress fracture in his lower back the remainder of the season and had a quadriceps strain in preseason trading that had kept him out of the Sounders' first couple of MLS matches. Sounders will vo- visit Sporting Kansas City on Saturday. Kansas City comes in near the bottom of the table with two points from four matches, has particularly struggled offensively, scoring just one goal. In those four games thus far. Strong defensively, though, allowing three goals, no more than one in any individual game. We one of the things we've learned since we've last podcast is that the Sounders will participate in an expanded 32-team FIFA Club World Cup when it deba- debuts in 2025. The change in format will make the Club World Cup a quadrennial competition with the most recent four winners from each confederation competing in an extended tournament with four team groups ahead of a knockout stage. So basically like a a club world cup as the uh the name literally says but uh, guaranteed then a longer appearance than the sounders got in this year's tournament in morocco where they played only the single match and this will come during the summer so it actually will be kind of an advantageous time for the sounders as compared to most of the teams from the rest of the world that will be done with grueling seasons at that point Lastly, on the Sounders' new Who's extension that we mentioned a few weeks ago is official. He signed through 2025 with a club option for 2026. O.L. Reign wrapped up the Portland preseason tournament last week. They rotated in reserves in a 2-0 loss to Racing Louisville on Wednesday with Bethany Balser, the only starter from the opening game to remain in that role, but then wrapped things up with a 1-0 win over the host Thorns, and again where both teams played most of their starters, though not all of them. Megan Rapino was unable to play due to injury for the rain, as was Quinn. They got the lone goal from Jess Fishlock in the 18th minute from outside the box to win the rivalry game. As Rain coach Laura Harvey told reporters, it's Seattle, Portland, and I don't care what anyone tells me, it's never going to be a preseason friendly. So Hello. I think to set the game up and it be the last one where we've had a really tough week, I think the players dug in and showed how much it means, honestly, to play in a game like this. It's not all love, Portland. The Sasquatch is ours. <laughs> Cease and desist. <laughs> Until you get Wemby. If you get Wemby, then we're good. Chances improving. If not, if not, it's not all love, Portland. Uh, the Rain are now ready to start the NWSL regular season on Sunday in D.C. against the Washington Spirit, who won the 2021 NWSL Cup, but then sank to 11th in the standings last year with three different new managers taking control of the team across the season. 
Uh, this offseason, they hired longtime Thorns head coach Mark Parsons, who had been coaching the Dutch national team. Still have most of the attacking talent from that team that won the NUSL Cup, though the back line has lost Emily Sonnet to the rain, their big new addition this offseason, and Kelly O'Hara, which who was one of the biggest players to change teams via the new NWSL free agency this offseason. UW softball lost two out of three at number three UCLA. They won Friday's opener 4-3 with freshman Ruby Malin getting the win after relieving Lindsay Lopez in the fourth. With that game tied 1-1, the Huskies scored three in the sixth, capped by a Bailey Klingler home run. UCLA answered with two unearned runs in the bottom half of the inning, but Huskies held on for the win. On Saturday, Bruins ace Megan Faraimo shut out the Huskies, allowing just two hits and one walk as UCLA won 4-0. And then in Sunday's rubber match, UW trailed 4-2 through four and a half innings of a competitive game before the Bruins exploded for five runs in the fifth on route to a 10-2 run rule victory. What was what was UCLA ranked? Three? They were ranked number three. They actually dropped a spot because they lost one of these games to the Huskies. They are down to fourth now. Huskies moved also down one spot from eighth to ninth. I mean, that's a very good team that they played. Oh, there was yeah. some sort of news story that I saw where it's like, UW stuns UCLA in a victory, and I'm like, that's that's going a little too far. It was it's, like it, it would not have been surprising if they would have gotten swept, certainly being on the road against a team this good. But it's also not surprising to take one out of three. I think it is the the base outcome for that series. That's probably about true, which is why both teams more or less stayed where they were. In the it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Everything is fine. It's a long season. Uh, Huskies back home this weekend to face number 20, Arizona, which dropped two of three over the weekend to number 19, Utah at home, slipping to three and three in Pac-12 play. After the end of this stretch, the Huskies will have faced three of the five other ranked Pac-12 teams. Unfortunately, there's two other Pac-12 teams that are also receiving votes. So this conference is very good at softball. Not a lot of easy weekends. Who doesn't play softball in the Pac-12? We go over this every year. I, Is it Wazoo? I think it's Wazoo who doesn't play. It's multiple. Like There's only oh, okay. nine Pac-12 teams that play softball, I believe, as opposed to the 11. Better vet San Diego State before we let them in. I think San Diego State might play softball. I'm saying that would be good. Yeah. Bring them on in. But like, there's some sports, like soccer, San Diego State is part of the Pac-12 already. It's not as big a change as, it, as people might make it out to be. Uh, the schools that do not sponsor softball are, in fact, Washington State, uh, USC, which makes no sense. And it makes sense. I, I mean, I think USC is noted for sponsoring a lot of sports, generally speaking, and Colorado yeah, also and does they not made have a choice. Softball. I think they have, I mean, you're required to have so many women's programs. They've just chosen to you know, have like three or four different types of volleyball teams, probably. I mean, they have gymnastics and UW doesn't. No, UW has gymnastics. They, UW they has have swimming. gymnastics. UW doesn't have swimming, and I think that USC does. Hmm. All right, UW women's basketball. Fun of the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, has advanced to what they call the Super 16, for legal reasons, of the women's <laughs> NIT, with a pair of victories at home. <clears throat> Wait, who owns the Sweet 16? The NCAA. And they're not part of the NCAA? The NIT, in, in on the men's side, the NIT is run by the NCAA. On the women's side, it's run by a third party. Okay. Uh, obviously, Three-point productions. It's, it's not. <laughs> uh, th- last Thursday, the Huskies got a 61-46 win against San Francisco. 
they were tied at 19 all after a low scoring first half, but pulled away from the Dons in the second half, uh, getting a double double of 14 points and 10 boards from Delia Daniels. On Sunday, the Huskies trailed visiting New Mexico after three quarters before dominating the final period for a 67-56 win with El Ladine leading the way. The freshman scored 11 of her team-high 15 points off the bench in the final period. This is a good team. I mean, they've faced relatively weak opposition. They're going to get a more serious test this Friday when they host Kansas State. Uh, the Wildcats won a game in the NCAA tournament last year, dropped to 5-13 and 13 in Big 12 play this year without star center Aoka Lee, who missed the season following August knee surgery. K-State still went 11-2 and two against non-conference foes and were briefly ranked. Uh, they have beat Wichita State and Wyoming by a combined 50 points thus far to advance. So this is, this is a much more serious test for the Huskies. New Mexico was a weaker team and also lost a couple of starters who opted out of the NIT, so... That was a game they really should have won. They opted out of the NIT? Yeah. For what? Done, to go to done, the NFL? Done playing college basketball. <laughs> they were good. Their work there was done. Damn. Yeah. Twin sisters. I feel like when you get there, you're just like, I'll play more basketball for sure. I mean, yeah. UW seniors, Haley Van Dyke notably has you know, been outspoken about wanting to keep her career going. So That's kind of wild to me. But I mean, you see like teams that teams that opt out of the NIT. So I guess it's not surprising that some players do. On the men's basketball front, more Huskies have announced their plans to transfer. Uh, guard PJ Fuller II, who started 17 games last season, but saw his rule shrink as freshman guards Corin Johnson and Keon Menefield Jr. came on late in the season. So not really a surprise. Fuller, who played two years at UW after transferring home from TCU, has one year of remaining eligibility. And then also center Jackson Grant, who also played two years at UW as a high school recruit, <laughs> McDonald's High School All-American. The Olympia native took a step backwards last season, averaging just six minutes per game and shot two for 15 <laughs> in that limited play on, playing time with Frank, Frank Kepnong and Braxton Mia set. He only took 15 shots all year. That was Maybe there was twos, but I think that was either case, yeah. He wasn't shooting threes. Uh, Jackson Grant's a hilarious one. Like, one of the most, like, just absurdly ranked recruits. It was from the instant he I mean, showed up on campus. Look, it's not Jackson Grant didn't rank himself. Okay, I, like, no, I'm not blaming Jackson Grant. I'm blaming the idea of college recruiting. If you care about the star numbers, you're wrong. Yes, yeah, two of fifteen. He did shoot five threes. Oh, really? Yeah, two of fifteen five. on twos. No, it was two of fifteen overall. Two of fifteen overall. <laughs> He was the number one, number one ranked player in my class of players that I forgot were on the team still. Yeah, I mean, definitely the fact that he didn't see more playing time even after Kepnong went down made this inevitable. So we've seen both him and Langston Wilson, who uh, were backup centers that didn't necessarily play a lot, announce their transfers. Uh, Corin Johnson and Keon Metafield Jr. have said that they will return. Frank, Frank Kepnong also made that official on social media. It is a little amusing to me. Like, I'm pro-transfer. Let players go where they want. They shouldn't have any restrictions beyond other college students, in my opinion. I do find it kind of hilarious that now you have to announce that you're going to continue playing for the team that you were already on. Uh, we, Keon Brooks Jr. remains the the big kind of undecided one that we're waiting to hear on. As far as transferring goes? Or going pro, as we talked about. In what? Did not. There's a lot of pro that's not the NBA. Keon Brooks Jr. is going to enjoy a long professional career. He's like a really good pickleball player. 
No, I'm just, I I'm just so is... I'm so sick of this fucking team. Like we have to talk about them after the year is over. Like they're great. They're fine. Run it back. It's like, oh, everybody's coming back from this Utah basketball team. Dope. I mean, look, if they can keep Keon Brooks Jr. and then add a pretty good recruiting class, and obviously there will be some incoming transfers. I I think you have to feel reasonably good about the the direction of the program, even if I don't think that that is going to, uh, you know, be enough to get them into the NCAA tournament next year. And I'm not totally sure that would be the best thing long term. It's right, let's wrap to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, like there was a man. Uh, I was listening to the low post, and Zach Lowe accidentally twisted the knife on Chris Harry, and he was like, "How has is Michigan still in the tournament?" He was like, "No, they they didn't make it this year." But it, like it was just like it's fun to have a team in there to be in the mix. All right, let's talk about the Seahawks, who have been busy in free agency since we last potted. At that point, they had uh, they had already agreed to terms with Dre Jones, as we've learned that he likes to be called. But yeah. uh, a number of additions since then. Do you think it's better to do this in terms of like additions and losses, or to go kind of position position positionally? Let's do additions and losses. Okay. Well, we start with safety Julian Love, who signed a two-year deal reportedly worth up to twelve million. Uh, this would be the second biggest contract the Seahawks handed out after the Dre Jones contract. Love started all 16 games he played last season for the Giants, recording 124 tackles to remake, rank among the leaders in the secondary with a missed tackle rate of 3.9%. That was 11th lowest among players with at least 100 tackles per sport radar charting on pro football reference. Ranked number 70 in ESPN's free agent rankings, and notably since he's joining a team that has two highly paid safeties in Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, was deployed in a variety of positions by the Giants, including both safety spots and in the slot. And it's kind of a nickel corner. So that's one possibility. We'll see, you know, if he competes with Kobe Bryant there. Uh, you know, I think also we could see a lot of the big nickel that the Seahawks have played at times. It is a little interesting still to make this addition when you have you know a tender to Ryan Neal as a restricted free agent who kind of plays a similar role. But, I mean, they have to be spending more on safeties than almost any team in the league. Oh, I think they already were before they signed Julian Love. It's, it is, I mean, they would have four pretty good NFL caliber safeties on the roster if Ryan Neal comes back. Yeah. So... Certainly, they are well covered in case they have the kind of injuries at that position that they've had with Jamal Adams the last <laughs> they couple They were well of covered last year. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, pun, that was a pun. I, I see. No, I, I think this is fine. I think well, this is actually pretty exciting. And, and having a player like that who can play in a bunch of different positions, it's clear that Pete is very excited about tinkering with the secondary. I don't know. That, I would say. He's not that excited about taking away the secondary. I, to me, the big takeaway of free agency is they they think all the problems defensively are in the front seven. Tinkering with the secondary. Sure. Just add, adding more talent there a little bit. And I, I honestly, like, obviously it's defense. We knew that going into this offseason that defense was going to be the focus. But it's interesting that they haven't only focused on the front seven. That you would have looked at it and you would have said, safety, they're set. No questions. No chance they had a safety, right? Even going into the draft, it's like maybe they draft somebody a little bit later, but that's a lower priority. So to sign a safety, this is something that Pete is clearly wanting to play around with a little bit more than we anticipated. 
I mean, I think the other element of it is just that the safety market came in so much lower than everybody expected. G- gave them an opportunity to sign, you know, somebody who's near the top of that market at a very reasonable contract. Now, that's probably not good news for the Seahawks overall because they're paying two safeties under what we thought the safety market was going to look like. Yes. <laughs> so, wasn't it like two or three years ago that the safety market was huge, and then the safety market shrunk? It does feel like those. I think there was a, a correction. We'll see if the interior D line, in the same way that they play, paid Dre Jones, that this year was kind of like the hot year. The money was there for those players, and it might be that next year is the, the Seahawks might have found one the wrong year to go sign somebody, but they signed somebody in every level of defense. Yeah. So continuing those additions on defense. Uh, Jaron Reed returning to the Seahawks after one season in Kansas City and one in Green Bay on a two-year $9 million deal with $4.2 million guaranteed and additional $1.5 million in sack-based incentives. Uh, he's totaled just five sacks those two seasons after six and a half in his final season in Seattle, although that sport radar ch- charting in- indicates his pressures and QB hits were pretty similar. So we know that sacks can be a little more random from year to year than those are. Uh, made just $3.5 million for his one season with the Packers. So it would be a, a higher, you know, it's a higher guaranteed amount for him to come back to Seattle after that and would be a higher average even if he doesn't hit those sack-based incentives. And is he taking over sort of the Jeff role for next year? Uh, I mean, I think Trey Jones is probably more stylistically in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. someone who can provide that interior pass rush but i mean reed is similar too i mean to me we talked last week about whether dre jones affects the, their chances of you know taking jalen carter at number five to me drafting jaron reed makes that much less likely signing because you're signing jaron reed because you're probably going to have two interior down linemen two interior linemen on the field in you know passing situations so you know, if you have three guys who that's their strike, that does seem like a little bit of diminishing returns. Yes. I mean, it, it does feel like as this impacts the draft, the Seahawks are prepared to go into this draft not needing to draft Jalen Carter. Right. And I think that's that's the difference is I I still, if you had to choose any individual player, I think the most likely player that they select with that pick is still Jalen Carter. But I think the if an offer comes along, the Seahawks are looking at this as Jalen Carter probably will still be there at pick five, but we might get an offer that we want to move down from that pick. So we can't count on getting any individual player in the draft. And I think that's how the Seahawks are approaching. This is they want to be set at every position and then whomever they end up drafting, we know it'll be a good player with that first first round pick, but they don't want to have to rely on them to instantly step into the defense because they don't know where they're going to make their first first round pick. And I think there's some other evidence that indicates that trading down might be a, a significant possibility. The other thing is it's not just the number five pick. If you look at their next two additions, we're going to talk about it's covering them in spots where I think it still would make sense to draft someone, but by signing a veteran, you don't need to draft. Someone exactly. That's what I'm saying. How the board they, falls. they wanted to set their defense now and have the draft just be competition, obviously in the Seahawks sense, 
players who are going to push that, right? They don't have and to value. say in value. Yeah. Or to, and to open to open them up for that trade down. Linebacker Devin Bush Jr. on a one year three point five million dollar deal of which three million is guaranteed. Bush was the number 10 pick out of Michigan in 2019 and finished third in AP Defensive Rookie of the Year voting that year after recording 109 tackles, but hasn't been as productive since suffering an ACL tear in 2020, played a career low of 62% of snaps last year, losing his starting job in the season's final two weeks to rookie seventh round pick Mark Robinson, still just 24. So, you know, certainly in basketball, we talk about the second draft. I think there's an element of that at play here for the Seahawks. This is awesome. I mean, as far as a rehabilitation project, I think you have to be stoked about it. And he's somebody who we know has the pedigree and the skill to be a very, very good linebacker. Obviously, the injury matters, but I just can so clearly see how Pete was excited about this one, especially at three and a half million. Yeah, I'm getting that kind of talent. And I think, you know, kind of the strength for Bush is his tackling. So that's another thing I think that's a, a theme throughout this is that Pico was upset with the team's tackling last season I mean, and wanted no to shit. Yeah. I'm sure he was. <laughs> we were all. But if you could say, like, is this is this Cody Barton? Is this Tanner Muse? Is this Devin Bush? It's pretty clear who you would choose out of those three. Well, I mean, the commanders, I think, ended up paying... Uh, Barton slightly more than Bush is going to make on this deal, or it's very similar. So I don't know. Everyone looked at it that way. Like uh, I thought it was interesting. Cody Barton's PFF grade was better than Bush's last season, but you know, it was worse than both of them. Who? Jordan Brooks. We'll see, uh, we'll see if Jordan Brooks is here. Lastly, in terms of the newcomers via free agency, offensive lineman Evan Brown, formerly with the Lions, signed to a one-year $2.25 million deal with an additional 500000 in playing time incentives. Only his $1 million signing bonus is guaranteed. Brown is a utility interior offensive lineman who started 12 games each of the last two seasons due to injury. In 2021, he started primarily at center and rated well in terms of pass protection. He played right guard in 10 of his 12 starts last year and rated poorly in that regard by PFF. <sighs> Seahawks clearly viewing him primarily as a center with Austin Blythe's retirement, but this is the kind of contract, unsurprisingly, that will not preclude them from drafting a long-term option at center. Yeah, I would say that's probably the only position that you could look at and say they're probably going to draft somebody, but, you know, is that a third-round pick or whatever? Uh, you literally cannot have enough experience offensive linemen. That's it, period. There is no place that you can have enough experience offensive line because you will play them at some point. And like the one one good news about the Seahawks from a salary cap perspective is their offensive line is extremely cheap at this point with, you know, three of those five guys on rookie deals. It's going to uh, change. It's going to change. But right it, now, yes. it's going to be a while. Like you got two more years. I guess Abe Lucas could renegotiate before that. But uh, but several more years with. Uh, uh, the the rookies Charles Cross in particular on his five year potentially rookie deal if they pick up his team option although I guess that does now get expensive in year five. All right, the player they re-signed is quarterback Drew Locke back on a one year deal with a four million dollar base incentives that could push the value to seven point five million so kind of very similar to the contract that Geno Smith signed last off season. However, only the one point seven five million dollar signing bonus is guaranteed here. Okay. This is the place that I make up ground. <laughs> oh, in terms of the percentage chances of returning? I had Drew Lock at 
You did have him the by highest. By yes. far the highest, right? My, Mike Sean did not think that there was any yep. almost any chance of both Mike, Drew Locke Sh- Mike Sean. Returning. So he took an L on this one, that 10%. Which unfortunately he made up for us, he made up for in a lot of other places. I'm about to not do so well in the next one. Uh, <laughs> but Gino Smith I'm, is back. I'm about to not do so well in the next one. Drew Locke is back. The Seahawks aren't drafting a fucking quarterback. I'm sorry, but they're not. I would feel more certain that they're not drafting a quarterback if Drew Locke's base salary were guaranteed. Like if it was, if they just had to swallow the 1.75 million, that is something you could do. I don't think you'd want to do it, but you could probably trade Drew Locke for something at this point, right? Probably. Somebody will I, have an injury during training camp who would want him. I, I really have a hard time after they invested in Geno Smith at a reasonable number, but still. And a contract they, that they can very easily get out of after one season. They do want him to be the starting quarterback of the team. They want him to get the reps. They want him to be the guy. And they signed his backup. They're not drafting a quarterback. I certainly think the chances are lower than they were a week ago. Pete Carroll may want to win forever. But Pete Carroll also wants to win right now. And I think the thing that we have seen this offseason, we talked about it right after after the Geno signing, is this is not an offseason for three years from now. This is an offseason for next year. And Pete Carroll is trying to win with this team, with this roster, and he sees an avenue to do it. And John Schneider, they see an avenue to do it. Do they not? Is that not what you take from this? They're they're not necessarily like win now, extreme win now moves, but these are players who they anticipate are going to contribute next season to their, their playoff team moves that they've made. Yes, I agree with that. I, but they've also maintained flexibility. Yeah, and I think that, again, the luxury that they have is they could draft a quarterback at number five and still add someone who's going to help immediately at number 20 and two more in the second round. Like, that's the beauty of the situation they're in. I don't, again, I don't think it's a likely scenario, but I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's off the board. So. All right, let's talk about the players who the Seahawks lost in free agency, starting <sighs> with Rashad Penny, who signed a one-year deal with the Eagles worth up to $2.1 million, just 600000 guaranteed. Penny, the one running back who matters, averaged 5.7 <sighs> yards per carry over five seasons with the Seahawks, but played just 42 total games during that span due to injuries. He said the Seahawks were interested in bringing him back, but he really wanted a fresh start to uh, change the narrative of his I injuries. I really don't blame him. And No, of course not. Ugh. <sighs> I never thought I would be this upset about a running back leaving. I mean, and it, certainly at that money. Where Rashad Penny came from, the 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 capital that they put into him, like I didn't I didn't think I would love Rashad Penny as much as I do, but when I saw that he signed with the Eagles, it hurt a little bit. And I think it's a great signing for the Eagles. If he's on the field, he's going to matter. That's kind of it. Obviously, he's been through a lot of in- injuries. And if Rashad Penny doesn't end up, he's going to have a season where he makes it. Rashad Penny is going to have a great season. And that might be with the Eagles next year. And it'll be very disappointing if that happens. But uh, I will be cheering for Rashad Penny no matter what. Same. He doesn't, I mean, I'm, he doesn't I'm, really have a role here. It makes sense. I get it. 
I mean, I think that there was a role here, but this is Ken Walker's backfield, though. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I mean, it's also like it's not surprising that it's the Eagles that are the team that does that signed him. Like that's a that's a a very wise move. It doesn't affect their uh, comp picks at all. The Eagles are currently. Do you want to know how many comp picks they are projected for? I mean, this is kind of bad news because they've lost. A I was going to say they've lost but... a lot of defensive players. How many comp picks? Ten. What? <laughs> Only one in the third uh, before the fifth round, but ten comp picks. They have not signed any qualifying free agents as yet, and have lost ten qualifying players. It's like kind of the, over the, the cap. The beauty and the sorrow of making the Super Bowl. It's like everybody wants your players, and you don't, you have no money to resign them. But it does feel like their their defense, their secondary is going to be pretty different next year. Yes. Uh, Seahawks also saw running back Travis Homer agree to a two-year deal with the Bears worth up to $4 million with $1.75 million guaranteed. Homer was a third down back and valuable special teams contributor during his four seasons in Seattle. Why do I love all the Seahawks running backs? Except, <laughs> except for the ones who are still on the roster. I was a little surprised that they let him go at this. Like, it's not a massive amount of money, certainly. Like... I don't know if they're going to add a veteran running back or just plan to add via the draft they're here. Definitely drafting a running back. Certainly will at some point. But Homer's role at special teams is kind of the more surprising part. Like Nick Ballore is like 37. I don't know if I would have prioritized him as a special teams player to keep over Travis Homer. Who is young and also contributes more, I would say, in terms of his... Non-special teams contributor. Nick Moore is only 33. I should, shouldn't age him. <laughs> 37. He's going to be 34 in May. But substantially older than Travis Homer, either way. Uh, lastly, the Seahawks, speaking of first-round picks, saw defensive lineman LJ Collier agree to a one-year minimum deal with the Cardinals. So, bye. They, they saw that his agent said that they saw that as a scheme fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Seahawks do not feel the same way about LJ Collier as I do about Rashad Penny. Again, it's LJ Collier didn't draft himself in the first round. It's not fair to hold that against him. It's fine. Uh, it's not personal with LJ Collier, but do not want him on the roster. The Seahawks waived another pair of defensive linemen, Quinton Jefferson and Al Woods, saving more than eight million combined against the cap. Jefferson had a career-high five-and-a-half sacks last season in his second stint with the Seahawks, but the addition of Jones and Reed replaced his interior pressure. In Wood's case, wasn't as productive in 2022 as he was during the strong 2021 season that earned him this contract, and age was a concern there as well. He'll turn 36 later this week. With those departures following Shelby Harris's release and Puna Ford as yet unsigned, Seahawks no longer have any of their top four defensive linemen in 2022 snaps under contract. They've definitely remade that position. I, I do love Big Al Woods, though, and we'll always love Big Al Woods. That's it. For sure. Like, I just, wherever he ends up, he's going to fuck shit up in the middle, and I I think he's going to end up on a competitor in some way. Probably the Eagles. He wouldn't count as a comp pick because he was released. Like, that, that's the way to do it. Why maybe does Rashad the, Penny not count against their comp picks? Because he's making too little money. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's it's basically like you have to get to a certain point to qualify. Uh, 
The Seahawks have now basically exhausted their potential savings from releases. There's only one other player they could release and save more than $3 million without using a post-June 1st designation that would put part of that uh, that dead money on the 2024 cap. That's Uchenna Nwosu at $8.26 million. Yeah, no. <laughs> Obviously, they're not happen. releasing him. More yeah. realistically, Nwosu would be an ideal candidate for an extension that could reduce his cap number this year. Because Are there kinda... any other restructures or extensions that could happen that could save them money this season? There are some others, as we've talked about, like Tyler Lockett would hypothetically be possible since he's got uh, a pretty massive guaranteed salary for this season. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how long he has left on his contract, but he's not in a position where well, he's still got two years left beyond this. So. That would actually be pushing it out pretty far at this point. So this so, kind of is what it is, which is which is troubling because the Seahawks have, according to Over the Cap, two point four million in effective cap space before accounting for the Julian Love contract, which is not yet in in terms of the the structure and the particulars. And this is where I start to think the Seahawks are going to trade down because uh, Chuck Schneider was on Seattle Sports Seven Ten last week, and one of the questions he was asked about like you know is how is it different trading down at the top of the draft you start with the fifth pick as opposed to where they're usually starting and he said it's not that different except that if you trade down it's a much bigger difference in terms of the rookie scale uh where that player is slotted in then you know it's a much more gradual change pick to pick later in the first round and one way you can increase your effective cap space would be to trade down from number five i mean I think it's kind of genius to do so, right? Like part of the value of having that pick is being able to turn it into other things, right? Whether it is picks this year or next year, if the Seahawks could somehow turn that fifth pick in the draft, I mean, we pray for a quarterback to come there, but like if they could turn that fifth pick in the draft into a first rounder for next year, that would be just unbelievable. I mean, there's no longer, I think the kind of obvious candidate for that, that future first round pick trade now that the, uh, the, the team that we were thinking at Carolina at number nine has instead traded all the way up to number one. <laughs> they went all the... Most teams are kind of set at quarterback, right? I mean, maybe the Raiders fall in love with one of these guys. and Yeah, but they just signed Jimmy G. Like, they're not going to... I But he could be a bridge quarterback. I, I think that's plausible. <sighs> I do think there's going to be a haul coming. It also might mean that... So wait, who's it, who's it in the house? Carolina. What's the order now? Yeah. Carolina, there, Houston, Arizona, Indianapolis. So there's three quarterback teams ahead of them and then Correct. the Cardinals. So if you were to, presumably speaking, you would say it's Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Anderson, Seahawks. I would say Richardson or Will Levis. I, I still think that's up in the air. But it's relatively chalk. Or that's like what you would consider chalk is three quarterbacks, one one pass rusher. Correct. Then Seahawks. It'll be interesting to see. It I mean, I I, I think you're right that the Seahawks' number one goal right now will be to trade down. They're not going to take not enough value, but they will take just the right value to get there to get those players. And if they can add, look, we don't know what it is. Maybe it's a second next year. Who knows? Getting something next year, I think, will be very valuable because there are so many picks this year. And but being also, able to. It doesn't count against the cap this year. 
Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Point. Spreading that cap-wise to something next year. It could even mean that they they pair up a couple of picks this year. Maybe there's like a second involved and it's the five pick and they trade down or something. And maybe they, they use one of those picks that they have later for flexibility to get to a first next year. But spreading that over multiple caps, I think, will be important. But I think you're right that that is the number one. If, if we were to go in this draft, instead of saying an individual player, trade down is probably the most likely outcome for the Seahawks. And it is the right outcome. We've seen the chart of where value meets the capital that you have to pay a player based upon draft position. And what, you, know, you ideally want to be in the later first round, mid first round to get that value. The Seahawks don't need a superstar player. This is a good roster. Overall, they just they need a lot of very good players to compete with this players that they brought in and they're going to get those players. So they they can go out and do whatever they need to do with what they already have on the roster and trade down and find something for next year. I mean, I think the other thing about stockpiling picks for 2024 is, look, what you did in free agency this year, going out and revamping your defense, you can't do that next year. Because as much as everyone wants to talk about, oh, the Seahawks aren't a team that like pushes things down the road, like all of these free agent contracts are very heavily backloaded in terms of cap hit. So, you know, in, as long as Geno Smith is still the quarterback next season, you're going to have some cap issues with so many of these cap hits increasing in 2024. So being able to have draft more draft picks in 2024 to use to add to your roster and fill holes as opposed to needing to do that via free agency will be a good thing. What is the deal with Daryl Taylor? In terms of his contract? Yeah. I mean, I think an extension is certainly a reasonable possibility, but his cap hit is not very high right now. So I don't think it would affect their status. But they, that much. they would have to talk to him about an extension this off season, right? Yeah. I mean, he's going into the last year of his rookie contract, yes. Is he somebody who, again, I boldly predicted this in December, that Daryl Taylor would be traded. Is he somebody who could be moved for future capital if there were a couple of pass rushers that they ended up drafting this year to basically kick that conversation down the road? Yes, I think that would be a sensible combination. So yes, if for some reason, you know, if you trade down a few picks and trade a and pick uh, an outside linebacker, you know, an edge rusher at, you know, number 10 or number 11. At some point, you're just having too many of those guys on the roster with Boye Mafe also here and Echenuosu, presumably part of their long-term plans. So that's the scenario, I think, where it would make sense for Taylor to be traded. But it's not about necessarily, like, they don't want to extend him. It's that they just don't... They're going to be able to get enough guys this year who are going to be cheap, still on rookie deals who are also pass rushers, plus a Chenuosu, that it might make sense to just kind of like reboot the position a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it's been a good offseason so far. I think so too. I mean, still a lot to go. There's still a lot of questions to answer. How do we feel about Bobby Wagner? Well, I just told you the Seahawks have no money to spend. Do you think there like, is... Literally, they can't afford the roster as it is right now. <laughs> is, the, is there a point that comes where the market for Bobby Wagner doesn't materialize really at all? They're able to find... Is there just no money for Bobby Wagner? I mean, there's always there's always money in the banana stand. So 
I mean, there are things that they could do to create it if it, you know, the value is such that, you know, if he's below $5 million a year or something like that, like, yeah, you'd probably sign him and figure it out. I don't know that I'm confident that Bobby Wagner's market is that low at this point, because guess what? Other teams are also going to look around and say, wait, Bobby Wagner is still available and he's not going to cost very much. Like the Seahawks wouldn't be the only team in that position. And there are other teams that have a lot more money to spend than them. So, so you think he ends up in like Chicago or something? I, I mean, I don't know specifically. I think Chicago already signed off-ball linebackers, right? Oh, like a million, right? Yeah, but but yes, I think that again that there will be some team. It, the Eagles again. He doesn't count for context. Now they they obviously have cap issues, so they they couldn't do it. But uh, there will be some team out there. That's my that's my Bobby Wagner position. It's very frustrating because I do think he's a more important player on the field than anybody the Seahawks have signed this offseason. And I get it. You know, they want to they want to look for players with upside, right? They want to find those players who are younger rather than signing somebody who's going to be just on a one year deal or whatever. But like it would be nice to find a spot. Certainly he he would help. So especially because I do I again the moves that they've made are short-term moves and I do think that Bobby Wagner is somebody who'd he'd be a very short-term move but it, but it would be nice it's also a position where a short-term fix makes sense because exactly. you still believe in Jordan Brooks as the long-term future of the position you just don't know when he's going to be able to play football again so we'll see if they find money I am not optimistic, but it's weird to me that the way it's discussed is usually like, what are the pros and cons of Bobby Wagner as a football player bringing him back? Like, well, that's actually not how the question works. Like, obviously, Bobby Wagner is a good football player, but there's this salary cap that governs everything, and you got to figure out how that works. Like, if it was yeah, just the- get all the good players as it was in the 1980s for the Niners, that would be easy. But it was there's like a salary cap now. <laughs> Has been for a long time, too. When we used to play fantasy baseball with like an extreme salary cap and all of a sudden like, (laughs) I can't even remember who the player, Hideki Matsui or something was the most important player. Ken Griffey Jr. was way down. Way before Hideki Matsui because everyone's value is, their salary was based on their performance the previous season. So rookies were extremely valuable. Fernando Tatis was a number one pick for sure. And it was Hideki Irubu. Oh, Irubu, sorry. But he came into the league and was the subject of a an intense bidding war. I'm sure. I think it was, we were probably drafted. I don't think it was actually free agency. But and obviously, what you're what you're talking about is you sign contracts, right? Not players. And the value of Bobby Wagner is not a question. I'm just a little surprised that no team in the league has gotten there yet with Bobby Wagner. And I think that's what makes me think maybe he's not necessarily going to sign. I don't know if the money is going to be there. That's going to matter that much. I guess. We'll see. I mean, also, you know, we thought we didn't know what his market was going to be this time last year. And then the Rams came in with what ended up being a fairly sizable one-year deal, although not kind of the long-term security ultimately that he probably would have wanted. Clearly. So, uh, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, we're getting to the stage of free agency where there's not necessarily that much money around. And I think the longer it goes, the more likely he ends up here. I probably agree with that assessment. Because the longer it goes, it means that there's not a large deal out there. And there's probably not going to be a large deal out there. 
which means that it's going to come down to where does Bobby Wagner want to play? And I think if we're we're past the piece of the bad feelings or whatever, and I think we can confidently say that he wants to play for a competitor. I think the Seahawks fall under that category. And there didn't seem to be the hard feelings about Bobby Wagner. We know that Quandre Diggs is all about it. So I think that the locker room wants him, and I think that he and Pete are okay with it. So the longer it goes, it does feel like more likely that he ends up in Seattle. Look, if the money is equal, probably if the money is close, you'd think he wants to play in Seattle in a situation that he knows rather than an unknown one. But, you know, whether the money is actually going to be equal or close, I, I'm still pretty skeptical. It, it's funny that this is like the, the point that we're having this conversation. We're talking locking up all these other players first. And on the field, Bobby Wagner would probably matter more than any of these players. Yeah. But <sighs> the age is a factor there. And but we're not signing a player. Look, whatever. Well, you know my feelings about the Seahawks signing like twenty-four-year-olds to one-year deals. Exactly. Like Dre Jones, how long is his deal? Two years. Well, his deal is three, three years. Okay. Chenda Nuoso is another example of this. Like, obviously, there was an element of Nuoso probably wouldn't have wanted to lock into a much longer contract. He believed that his value was going to go up as it has, but you know. Even just a two-year deal for him didn't necessarily have as much upside as it could have as a longer deal. Like yeah. The Seahawks are sometimes so scared of making a mistake in free agency, understandably, that they don't give them the opportunity to hit a re- have a huge win when they are right about a player. Maybe Trey Jones will be that. I get it, but... But yeah, I mean, that's what stands out about Bobby Wagner also is, I, you know, I, I think Evan Brown's maybe in his late 20s, but everyone else they've signed has been in their mid-20s, coming off their rookie contracts other than Jaron Reed. So he would be a departure from that, for sure. But nobody's signing a deal longer. Dre Jones said three years is the longest deal. So when you sign players in their mid-20s, you're looking for upside on those contracts. Yeah. But if you're signing them to short-term deals, you don't actually get the upside. I know. Whatever. Sign Bobby Wagner. That's all I care about. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.